week in, uh, in the missions week. And would you stand, please, those of you who have been involved in the evening meetings and featured as missionaries for Oak Grove Bible Fellowship? I think that's the other thing that I really appreciated this week was enjoying the diversity of, of ministry that you are, that this body of believers is involved in and has their hands in. I think it's just fantastic. Um, someone was, I was talking with someone last night when, and we were talking about the, the extent of volunteerism that comes out of this group. Um, to contribute to community ministries and ministries around the world and other countries as well. It's just fantastic. Uh, and I really believe that God is going to bless, that is, pass on merciful grace to us all and move this body of believers forward because of our commitment to others, our compassionate desire to reach others for Christ. And, and, and it's, it's, it's very important. I think that focus of what this group has, what this congregation has for mission is, uh, is fantastic. And God is, is blessing and he's going to uh, bless further. Well, you don't want to hear just from me this morning. So I want uh, Diane, I've asked Diane to share a little bit too. And I've asked her the question. So our title is Mission of Love. And there's some, there's some deep theological meanings there, right? And we're going we're gonna to tear that apart a little bit in a minute. But I, I wanted Diane to share, and I asked her a couple of questions that I'd like her to uh, just talk about for a minute. One is, what was your assumption about mission and about missions when you first went to the field 35 years ago? Okay. A little bit longer for her because she had a college experience in mission as well. <clears throat> so what was your assumptions at that time, and how have those assumptions about missions or mission changed in the last 35 years? So, Diane. Thank you. It is a delight and a privilege to be here with you guys and to share with you. So thank you for inviting us. We really appreciate that. Yeah, when I was a kid and I was growing up, um, even as a young child and definitely through high school, I had this yearning to go overseas to do cross-cultural missions. I wanted that to be my expression of love for the Lord. I wanted to show God how much I loved him by obeying Matthew 28. And it, it excited me. Everything I did, every decision I made in college and high school was geared toward getting to the field, um, finding putting myself there in that situation. So Matthew 28, 19 was very important to me as I grew up. But it wasn't very long after I arrived at the field that all of a sudden things changed. All of a sudden I was confronted with my own weakness, my own frailty. I soon realized that my motivation, that my love, that my passion was completely and utterly insufficient to do the work that God had given all of us to do. I couldn't do it. And so I had to turn around and say, Lord, I thought I could do this for you because I loved you so much. And I realized that I can't. I don't feel the love that I thought I had. And sometimes I didn't even want to love the way Christ called me to love. And so I had to ask God to please change my heart. 
give me a new heart. My heart is completely insufficient. My desires, my passion, my love is completely insufficient. And I remembered Matthew 22 where he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And I said, that's been my desire, but all of a sudden I realized that I can't. I'm not able. I am insufficient. This is not what it's supposed to be, not what I thought it was going to be, what I had assumed. And so, you know, whenever we ask God to change our hearts, is that a prayer that he will answer? Absolutely, 100% of the time, we can be convinced that he will always answer that prayer. If we ask him to change our hearts and give us his heart, he will always answer that prayer. We don't have, ever have to question that. So, of course, he did. He began to work and... Um, changed my heart. He began to give me a love that I lacked. He began to show me how completely dependent I was on him. So even though my motivation at first was to express my love for him, then I realized, oh my goodness, this is not going to work. This is not sufficient. And he began to change me. And I remembered um, reading in Matthew 12 where he says, I'm not interested in your sacrifices. They don't please me. You might think they please me. You might think you're honoring me, but I am not interested in those things. He said, what I want is a heart of mercy. As he shows me mercy, he wants me to open up to him so that he can express that same mercy which comes from him and is only found in him, not in me, through my life. And so I began to say, Lord, show your mercy through me, because I know I can't. I now know I cannot. What I thought I could do all these years, I now know I cannot. So please, show your mercy, both in me and through me. And then I was also reminded, you know, when you think about the sacrifices and things, um, I was also reminded that Christ reminds us over and over. He says, you know, if you give anything up, if you give your folks up, if you give your siblings up, if you give your houses up, whatever you give up, don't worry, I'm going to multiply that for you over and over and over. And actually, that is absolutely 100% true as well. <laughs> what a surprise. The Bible is actually right. <laughs> it actually happens the way he says. He gives you family. He gives you people who are like your parents. He gives you brothers and sisters. He gives you everything that you need. He multiplies that 100 times over, just as he said he was. But we have to remember to look to him in order to recognize what he has already done. Because if we look the way we want to see things and understand things, we'll never see what we're looking for. We'll never find what we are looking for. But we have to learn to see how he um, does these things for us. And I was also reminded of Matthew 11, where it says that if you are tired and if you're burdened and if you come to me, I will give you a yoke that is easy. That is so true. But it only happens when we look to him and when we acknowledge him and when we say, you know what, I, I can't do this. But if you work in me, then I will trust you that you will do what you say. And that's when the rest comes. How many times have you done that? Have you just gone to the Lord and said, Lord, I need you. I need your strength. I can't do this anymore. And you physically felt your body let down. Isn't that a wonderful feeling? Where you just know 
he's been waiting for me to acknowledge what he knew all along. But as soon as I do, it's like this physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual rest and relaxation when we acknowledge and when we give it to him and let his yoke be our yoke. Because when I put the yoke on me, it's never easy. It's never easy. My expectation of myself is so ridiculous that no human being could ever fulfill it. So when I give that up and I say, Lord, what is it that you want and what is it that you have? That's when the rest comes and that's when I experience his yoke instead of my own yoke. So I have learned and I continue to learn that it's only as I submit to him, it's only as I listen to him and I give things back over to him. It wasn't a moment that happened when I was in junior high. It wasn't that moment. That was one in many. It was a process. And as I focus on the deep, deep love of Jesus, I realize that I am incrementally learning what that is, just step by step. I'm learning about the love of Jesus. I'm learning how he feels about me and that I don't have to do anything to, to earn his love. It exists because I am his daughter. I am his creation. It exists for every human being, regardless of what they do or they do not do. God's love is unchanging. It is unfathomable. We can't imagine the depth of it. We just are gradually growing into understanding it as we live life and as we come before him. So yesterday, I used to think that missions was all about what I do for God, to honor God, to love him, to show my love for him. Today, I realize how pathetic that is. Someday, we have to grow up, right? <laughs> Someday, we have to figure things out. Now I understand that mission is God's work entirely. It's all him. He is the center. I am the periphery. I am not the center. I am the periphery. He's the center. And it's his work both in me, changing me, and through me. He, he works in me, and then as I allow that work to happen, then he can use me for his honor and glory. And that's where the joy comes. It's when, when I continually go back to him and I say, remind me again, remind me again, what, it was, what is it that I'm supposed to think and do? How is it that I'm supposed to take off this yoke and rest in your, your, your yoke? Remind me, Lord, how much you love me just for who I am, and it's not based on anything that I do or think or say. It's based on your character and who you are, the God of deep love that we are never going to get. But that's okay. We don't have to get it. All we have to do is strive to understand and let him get it for us, give ourselves to him. So today, I see missions as completely different than I did when I first went out. And it's wonderful. It's so freeing. Thank you. Thank you, Diane. I, um, <clears throat> I keyed on one of her first statements, and that is, 
I see mission as allowing God to do his work through me. And that's one of the reasons I love that <clears throat> Second Corinthians passage that was read this morning so much. Because it contains that idea. It, it, it shows that idea that God is making his appeal through us. We are the channel of blessing, but it is all about God and it's all about what he is doing. So this morning we want to look at this, um, this title, Mission of Love. Okay, let's see if this is going to work. Yeah, maybe you guys can turn the slides for me. Doesn't seem to be working. Did you do that or did I do that? Okay, go in now. All right, so what we want to do, what I'd like to do this morning is uh, something a little bit different than what we are normally used to doing, I think, in a Sunday morning worship service. But I would like you to take some time with your neighbor, like two or three people around you, and just reflect on some ideas or some questions that I'm going to bring up throughout the message, all right? And I'm not going to give you much time, so don't turn to your neighbor and say, my name is this, and I do this, and I'm, my work is this. And No, just get right to the question, uh, reflect a little bit, look around you maybe and say, okay, I've got two or three people identified that I'm going to talk with this morning and reflect, do some reflection with. So the first question is that I want you to turn to your neighbor and, and just chat about for like 30 seconds or a minute is this question, what is mission? All right, go. What is mission? Love hearing that conversation. Okay, you got the answers. Can some, um, just uh, what, what I'd like you to do is just, just say out loud some concepts that you talked about. Maybe one or two words. What are things that came up as you discussed? Just say it out loud. Serving. Sorry? Serving. serving. Mission is serving. Okay, something else? Traveling. Traveling. A task? Okay. Say what? Sorry? Reaching out. Some, someone down here. Obedience. Sorry? An assignment. Right. Okay. A journey. Sharing God's word. Excellent. All right. Great. Um, Perfect. Love to hear your feedback and your ideas. Uh, now I'm going to give you the answers. <laughs> but you already saw the first answer. Okay. So mission is 
compassionate. And when Diane was reading this, she said, Greg, shouldn't that be compassion? Mission is compassion. There's something wrong there. But I like it this way. And you'll, maybe you'll see why in a minute. <clears throat> mission is compassionate. Mission begins with compassion. All right, Diane talked about motivation. She talked about um, why she was doing or what she was doing and the motivation for that. Um, <clears throat> this verse in, in Scripture we see over and over that Jesus is moved with compassion for this and he's moved with compassion for that. I submit to you that we will not get out of our pews or out of our comfortable houses unless we are moved with compassion for people. And let that really stick with you. Unless we care that people are hurting, we will not get up and go and do something. And it doesn't come from us. It is not duty. It is the deep, deep love of Jesus that moves us out of a comfortable spot and says, these people are hurting and they need you. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And you know how that continues. What do you think of when you hear these words, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few? It's a common, often repeated verse in, for mission, right? We need people to, to work in, in the fields of harvest because they're ripe for harvest. But the context here I want to really point out is this verse here because he had compassion for them. Why? Because they were lost, because they, were, um, they didn't know him, they didn't trust him as their savior. No, the context here is that they were harassed and helpless. And I think if we looked at the words, these words, harassed and helpless, we would see physical ache going on with these people. That they were in trouble. They were desperate. I think of our... Um, our experience in India, and and I've 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 told this story before, but when I first went to India, I thought, Lord, there is no way that we as your people can ever meet the needs here. It, it, it's never going to happen. But the longer I'm there, and the more involved I am, the more I know, the more I realize that God's people are everywhere and they are working. And they are working from compassionate hearts because they see the needs and they know the helplessness and they are aware that people are harassed. And so the context here takes us, takes us beyond the preaching of the good news. Central, absolutely central to our work in mission. But it takes us beyond that to consider what are people's needs. And I'm so encouraged I could go on and on about this, but I'm so encouraged to see the diversity of ministry that's going on here as a result of this congregation's work. Just tremendous diversity in how we are reaching out to the community and the world. It's just tremendous. Um, so mission begins with compassion.
unless God moves in my heart to do something, to get me going, because I see the need and I see the helplessness and the desperation, it's just not going to happen, all right? So mission begins with compassion. That's your first answer. All right. Secondly, mission is authoritative, all right? And, and when I think of the, this word authority, um, I think of the, the part of the word uh, that's, that, that says author. Uh, it, ta- it speaks of origination. And <clears throat> again, the Second Corinthians passage that was read was re- is really excellent for this. Um, and and uh, I'll get to a little bit more of that in a second. But this verse, Mark 1.22, And they were astonished at Jesus' teaching because he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. He wasn't... As, as God's people, we don't, we don't and, and Diane alluded to this, we're, we're not repeating something we know in our head and saying this is what ought to be done in the world. And this is what ought to be done in your life. Rather, we are, we are exuding it. We are living it as Christ's ambassadors. And mission is about having the authority of God to be on mission, to be doing his work in this world, appealing to others as if God was appealing through us to do that. And so it involves authority. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.19 talks about this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So God through Christ was reconciling the world. Reconnecting people to God. Christ was doing the work of reconnecting lost and fallen mankind to God. And then Paul turns right around in the next verse and, and he says, and he is, uh, and he is given... To us, the same ministry, the same ministry of reconciliation, of reconnecting people to their source, to the source of of who they are and where they are from and who loves them and who created them. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. God making his appeal through us. This word ambassadors uh, is what I'm thinking of in this section, talking about authority. An ambassador represents, an ambassador represents the person that they are going out for. Um, you know, the ambassador to the Philippines represents the desires and the plans and the strategy and the relationship that the president wants uh, for between the Philippines and the United States. We represent God to the people that he sends us to and that, that we uh, reach out to. Mission is also witness. Um, that 
came up, I think, in uh, several of your comments. Mark 5, 18 to 19 talks about this. It says, As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged Jesus, begged him that he might be with him. He wanted to stay with Jesus. He wanted to, to soak in uh, being around the Lord. But Jesus did not permit him. He said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. I submit to you that this is the essence of what it means to be a witness for Christ, what it means to be a testimony. And, and here's the, the important part of this. <clears throat> what, can, what could this man have said outside of what Jesus had done for him? The point, the point I'm trying to make is that, is that unless we are feeling and, and living and understanding and experiencing and cultivating that freedom that we experienced when we came to Christ, unless we are ex cultivating that in our lives every day, how can we imagine that we, would, that we could be a witness for God. Jesus says, go tell your friends the, the, the mercy that Jesus has had on you. And when I think to myself, when I, when I start feeling like it's my duty to be a testimony or to be a witness for Christ, it all washes out for me. I don't know about you. But when I begin to feel like it's a duty and I've got to go do it and I've got to go across the street and knock on doors and things like that, it washes out for me. And I think, I think the reason is that I'm not, I'm not touching what Christ has done for me in a way that I can say, you know what? God freed me. He removed a burden from my life. And I want to share what that's like with you. This, this demon-possessed man had that. He went home to his friends and he said, I was a mess. I was a mess, but God has freed me. And that is the, that is the key and motivation for testimony and witness. It, it's not duty. It's, it's an attitude that what I experience, I can't wait to tell someone else. I can't wait to tell them. You, you often hear of, of someone coming to Christ and they, and they might say, you know, the first thing I wanted to do was go tell everybody what happened. And, and it's unfortunate, but, but in some cultures, uh, even India, uh, you experience that freedom in Christ and you start telling everybody and you incur persecution. You know, you get thrown out of the house, you end up living under a tree outside your house. You, the relatives, your relatives come over and beat you every day. <coughs> and, and suddenly, maybe your enthusiasm for sharing what God has done in your life is suddenly, um, suddenly runs away. But, but this is what happens. When we come to, we hear when, we, when people come to Christ, they want to go tell. You know, they want, they want it's, like, it's like the greatest news they've ever heard. And they've got they've to spill it to somebody and let other people know what's what's going on in their life. So mission is witness. And it's all about that, 
that sense of freedom that I feel, if I'm not feeling it, if, if the joy is gone in my life, hey, duty isn't going to do it. You've got to cultivate it, and it's got to be real in your life to make it happen. All right, so put it, let's put it all together. Mission is compassionate, authoritative witness. I love this definition uh, from Scripture. And so in uh, keeping with the way we're operating this morning, I want you to turn to those people that you talk to and say, mission is compassionate, authoritative witness. Do that. <laughs> and anything else you want to say. Okay, I think we got the slides going. Now, now keep up that good rumble and move to this question. Whose mission is it? Whose mission is it? Okay, everybody's saying God. Talk to your neighbor and tell them why it's God, okay? Okay, it's quieting down. I guess you got the answers. <clears throat> so, whose mission is it? We know it's God's. We got that. What else did you say? Other, other ideas? God's mission through us? Anything else? It's a command. Mission is a command. Absolutely. God's blessing, did you say? Mission is God's blessing. Whose mission is it? It's a blessing of God. Anything else you mentioned? You said our willpower will only take us so far. Yeah, our willpower in it will only get us so far. Diane talked about that. Yep. Our, it, out of a sense of duty, <clears throat> we only get so far. So whose mission is it? In the last 25 years or so, 30, probably 30 years, missiologists have started talking about this concept of missio Dei. And it basically uh, is a way of describing God's eternal purposes for the world. It's a way of describing what the Bible says about God's purpose uh, for mission or God's purpose in mission. And so the words, missio de, missio is, is just basically sending or send, and de is God, of course. So it's the sending of God, literally speaking. <clears throat> but the, the terminology speaks of God's ownership of mission. Okay, so we, we don't own mission. This is, this is God's doing. And the Second Corinthians passage talks about that that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. This isn't, this isn't us reconciling the world. He's given us something to do, but this is owned by God. This is a God 
Uh, this is a God design or God plan from the foundation of the world. The terminology also speaks of origin. And <clears throat> we talk about commission or commissio, if you want to say, co-sending. So, God, so the origin of mission, the origin of what we do is, is in God. But we are co-opted, we are co-missioned, we are co-sent to do the things that God wants to do in the world. So we're not, this isn't, so, this isn't a, a, a backpack we put on ourselves and carry around. This is, a, this is a, a sending of God in which we are opted in and given the task to do the work. Um, I, I put this here just to, to remind us that all where it says all this is from God. You know, the previous verse is, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. The terminology also refers to means. Uh, the sending of God also speaks to how mission is accomplished. Nothing, nothing that I can do can transform a person, uh, obviously. <laughs> you all know this. It's nothing out of us as God's people that transforms peoples and takes them out of darkness and, and plants them in light, in a new way of knowing God and trusting him. But it speaks, this, this terminology speaks of the means of mission and the fact that the, the Holy Spirit is the one who does it. Outside of, outside of the work of the Holy Spirit in what we're doing, we're going to come to nothing. It's gonna, we're going to hit brick walls all the time. Uh, we, we talk about this always in our team meetings in India. We say, we've been reflecting on this uh, over the last year. What is, the, <clears throat> what is the relationship between planning and trusting God and being fully dependent on God. When I start, when I start planning and making a three-year plan and a three-year strategy and making sure all of my, all of our people are engaged in that, am I, am I now taking on the responsibility myself and saying I'm no longer dependent on God? So we're asking this question: How do we? How do we do our duty? How do we do our part that, you know, and, and act on the, the skills and the giftings that God has given us to do and still remain dependent on God fully for the work that he's given us to do? But the, the terminology speaks to the means that outside of the work of the Holy Spirit, unless the Lord builds the house, it's not going to happen. So the means is the work of the Holy Spirit in the whole endeavor. And then the last one... <clears throat> speaks to the purpose. The purpose of the sending of Jesus or the sending of his people is God's glory. The chief end of man is to, to know God and enjoy him forever. Um, <clears throat> and so it, um, mission is about God's purpose for the world from everlasting to everlasting. God from the foundation of the world had a purpose and he, he talks about it in scripture and we read that verse last night and I think we're going to get to that here in a second. Yes, here it is. So Luke 24, 45 to 48, what Jesus says about the scriptures. <clears throat> last night I mentioned that 
One of the things that really impresses me, well, let's read it first. <laughs> then he, Jesus, opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power. The thing that strikes me about this, I mentioned last night, is that Jesus, here the disciples, imagine the disciples in front of Jesus listening to him, and he opens their minds to understand. Wouldn't we want that to be our prayer every time we go to the scriptures? And of course, we do pray that. That God would open our minds to understand. But getting on to the, the point of this, this, these verses speak to me of the origin, the content, the vehicle, and the means of mission. So you've got, you've got, you've got the origin, it's from God, that, that God intended that Christ would come and suffer and die and rise again. And then you've got content which says that uh, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached to the whole world, to all nations. Then you've got the vehicle which is, is the church, us, God's people, witnesses of these things. And then you have the means which is the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And the scriptures are telling us this. The Bible, uh, Christopher Wright says this, the Bible is the product of God's engagement through God's people in God's world for God's ultimate purposes for the nations and the world. So from beginning to end, the Bible is missional by its very existence and by its comprehensive message. Mission has to be a prime hermeneutic as interpretive key for our own Bible reading and teaching. I think I shared this uh, in, at family camp the last time. Just to say it, it has really opened my eyes to gain insights from Scripture when I look at it and, and ask myself, what is the missional purpose of God in, in, this, in this Scripture, in this passage? What is he doing? What was his purpose? What does he want from me as his missional um, actor, you know, so to speak? And it's, it's really tremendous to think about scripture in that way. The message of mission, uh, uh, I found this, this verse really enlightening. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. <clears throat> if you read this and sort of translate these, these heavy uh, words, gospel being good news, the kingdom being about how God is mercifully ruling people, lovingly ruling us, ruling our lives, and testimony is an eyewitness account or evidence. If you, if you think of it that, in that way and reread it, it's, it's just tremendously meaningful. And this good news about how God is mercifully ruling people will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as an eyewitness account or evidence to all nations. And then the end will come. And our role in that, of course, is that we are the eyewitnesses. We are the evidence 
about this merciful rule of God and the good news about what Jesus has done in our lives. And I've got to keep moving. <clears throat> so the mission is God's, so what about the church? What is the relationship between God's mission and us, his church? So go back, go back to the two or three people or however many you were talking with. Answer this question or discuss this just for a minute. What is the relationship between God's mission and us, his people or his church? Go. Okay, I love, love hearing the conversation and the chatter. Also gives me a chance to take a drink up here. <clears throat> so what did you get? What, 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 um, what's the relationship? Uh, someone wanted to just say uh, a sentence or two about what you, what you talked or what you said? Someone brave, brave enough, yeah? I said something about we're 1099 Okay. <laughs> Great, 1099. That's the miscellaneous form, right? Where you report business income or something? We're talking about how God has a cook and he's a waiter. So he's prepared for taking after Cool. Cool. He cooks it, we deliver it. Yeah, I like that. That's great. Excellent. Excellent. The church is God's hands and feet. We're doing it right now. We're doing it right now. In what way? Okay. Yes. Right. We are, we are representing, representing God to each other, reflecting on his mission in the world. Absolutely. What else? <clears throat> yeah. Yes, there's a role for... Uh, for having a home base and support to for the endeavor, right? For the for the for the activity uh, for being God's people it requires support and home base. Absolutely, ambassadors of His love. Yep, ambassadors representing with His authority what God has done and what His purposes are in the world. <clears throat> I think some of you have seen this before because I've <clears throat> I've shown it to this group before. 
But I, I want you to think about and compare these two sentences. The church of God has a mission in the world, and the God of mission has a church in the world. What's the difference? What's the difference in these two statements? Who the subject is, okay. <laughs> yeah, different subject. Any, anything else kind of stand out or appeal to you? Yeah, it's it's all God's, right? The, the, the second one points to the ownership of God in what we're doing. And the first one makes the assumption <clears throat> that we're doing something, that God's people are doing something, when in fact we recognize that it's the work of the Holy Spirit, it's God's thing from the foundation of the world, it's for his purpose. It's for his glory. It's all his. So what is the, what is the role then of the church? <clears throat> and I want to I let you contemplate something for a second. And <clears throat> the time is getting late, so we need to keep moving. But I want you to think about this first statement. Mission is who we are, not what we do. Mission is who we are, not what we do. And I'm going to keep moving because our time is running out. But mission is related to our identity or our, our reason for being. It's our identity. It's part of our created uh, effect. It's who we are in Christ, not what we do. Okay, let's keep going and kind of unpack that a little bit. Bosch says there is a church because there is mission, not vice versa. So there, there is mission because there's a church? No. There's a church because there is mission. The mission is God's, and we are his church. We are the creation of God in mission. Okay? So what does the church do? Do we ever go off God's mission, or are we always on God's mission? And there's several things I, I just want to bring out here, and you can think about them and make a note if you like and contemplate them for yourselves. <clears throat> I submit to you that we don't do missions. We are all part of or in God's mission. So if that's the case, then what do we do? And I would say we do work. And that work may be full-time in ministry, and for, for which we might refer to people as a minister or a missionary. Or it may be full-time outside of ministry, but we are all part of and identify with God's mission. Mission is who we are, not what we do. So everything we do exudes who we are as God's people. And, and it, it, it comes out of who we are. It results from who we are. All right? So <clears throat> if we get it wrong, these last two things can apply, I think. And we see this all the time. We, we, we live compartmentalized lives. So when we, when we go to church, we're, we're in church. When we go to work, you know, that's a different compartment. That's a different thing. It's, it's, there's danger there. And there's a danger that we compartmentalize our identity, too. 
that we live that we live different lives depending on where we are and what we're doing. So if we think in terms of the fact that our identity, all of who we are and everything we do is God's, it's a result of his work in us and his work in the world, then we we avoid this compartmentalization and every everywhere we go and everything we do is for God. It's it's not it's not compartmentalized according to uh, what, what the event is, okay? Does that make sense? I'm going <clears> to <throat> pass on for more discussion and just keep going because I have a few more slides and I want to get to the end. So what do you think? For the follower of Jesus, is it right to say all work is God's work? And here are some more things I just want you to think about. If I cannot say that, that X work, some kind of work, is God's work, I should seriously consider whether I, as a follower of Jesus, should be doing that work. Or whether I, as a follower of Jesus, recognize my missional identity and, into, and am able to integrate it into my work. If there's, if there's a problem with either of those things, then, then something's wrong. There's, there's, a, there's a compartmentalization there's a, there's a shifting of purpose. There's a shifting of identity. I've lost my missional identity. I've taken on a work identity or something like that. All right? Does that make sense? So what is at the core of the church's mission? John Piper says, mission exists because worship does not. Mission, uh, let the nations be glad, I think is the name of the book. Mission exists because worship does not. God's purpose is that people would be brought into fellowship with him. And we, as his people who carry the missional identity, it is our job to make sure people come into fellowship with God. We've been given this appeal from God to take to wherever we go. It's who we are. It's our DNA. It's everything we do. We may not do it full-time like a minister or a missionary, so to speak, but it is our DNA. It's all of who we are. It represents us. We are this missional person for God. <clears throat> implications, and this is coming to the end. What are the implications then for the local church? The first one I thought of was that we must be motivated missionally by love and compassion, not duty. Okay, so from the, from the beginning of my presentation, compassion, all of our identity and our desire to serve God missionally, in mission, live out our identity in the world, must be motivated by compassion and not duty. Duty's not going to get us anywhere. We have, to be, we have to be exuding that freedom in Christ that we experience personally in our own testimony and trust uh, that when we came to God. Duty motivates us to work. Love and compassion motivate us to, in our missional identities for Christ. <clears throat> A second one that I thought of was, and this comes from Tim Keller, the local, church, the local church needs to know or knows or should know what it means to not believe. And Keller says this, A missional church is characterized by a great deal of respect for people who don't believe. In other words, a missional church understands what it's like not to believe. So some considerations I thought of there is how we speak in church. You know, do we, do we use jargon? 
or do we use terminology and and words that communicate well to people who are who are unchurched who are a part of a post-christian culture so how do we communicate and how does the lo- how do we communicate the love of Christ through our identity and then equipping ourselves for cross-cultural ministry uh, and the context is a post post-Christian uh, culture. Keller goes on to say this. I think it's very um, appropriate for our application of the message this morning. <clears throat> I'd say, uh, Keller says, you haven't discipled someone if they only have been equipped to e- evangelize, that is, the, tell the story of Christ, and bring people to church. If they are truly discipled, they must be motivated and equipped to love their neighbors to do justice and mercy, and they also must be equipped to integrate their faith with their work, namely to engage culture. And this is what we were talking about just a minute ago, that, there, that we, mustn't, we mustn't remove our identity of who we are in Christ when we engage in work, but our missional identity goes with us and we integrate that into all that we're doing uh, within within our culture and within our work situation. Keller goes on to say, put another way, the job of the church gathered is not to change social structures and culture, but to create disciples who will change social structures and the culture by integrating into the culture and working to change it. So I came, I, some years ago I came up with this little model, I used it in Northeast India as I was working with the church there, encouraging them about what is kingdom partnership and what does it mean to be involved in Bible translation. And it, it basic, what, what we're basically looking at here is, is that Jesus is head of the church, the box is the church, but within the church there are many forms of missional enterprise going on in our world. Uh, there may be local churches uh, like our own. There may be non-government organizations, social enterprises, philanthropic organizations who all call on the name of Jesus and want to want to shine His love in the world. There may be agencies, um, you know, sort of parachurch agencies like Wycliffe and International Mission Board and that sort of thing, who are working in particular ways in the missional endeavor. And there may be schools, Christian schools, that are communicating and raising up children to follow and love Christ. And <clears throat> again, it's the idea that we all have the missional identity, but that missional identity may be lived out in different ways in our world. So the mission of love. It's God's. This endeavor is his, and it's motivated by his love for us first. And it's motivated by a compassionate heart, heart that people are helpless and desperate and need the answers that God provides. God is love. Mission starts with compassion, with love for mankind. Mission is of God, from God, by God, and for God. Mission is compassionate, authoritative witness. There is a church because there is mission, not vice versa. The church's identity is mission, and we are ambassadors for God. Mission exists to bring all creation under God's purposes and into fellowship with him. 
And we are to make disciples who permeate culture, transform culture, and in turn make more disciples. That is the conclusion. And I pray that um, God would continue to use all of us. May the deep, deep love of Jesus fill each of us that we may know God and with compassion for others make him known, permeating our culture and our world with the sweet fragrance of Christ and bringing others into fellowship with him. Amen. Please stand up for that for the last song, please. Oh Lord, oh Lord our God
blazing sun shall pierce the night and I will rise among the saints my gaze stands Praise and name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forevermore. For endless days we will sing your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord our God. Oh, praise the name. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forevermore. For endless days we will sing Your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord our God. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord our God. Thank you, Jesus, for the great mission that you are just putting in our hearts to go outside, Lord, and just proclaim who you are. Help us during this week to be able to share about you and to do the right mission, Lord, for you, to glorify you. We love you, God. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys are dismissed.